Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. Hello everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz is Travel. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions and more, through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative and visionary artists. And today is a very special episode, as we will be speaking with the great Bill Sharlap, one of the premier jazz pianists of his generation. Sharlap recently returned to Blue Note Records to release Street of Dreams, the title track of which you heard at the beginning of this podcast. This is his latest album with his acclaimed trio, featuring Peter Washington on bass and Kenny Washington on drums. And it's a reflection of the literal and metaphorical road travelled together by these three musicians during the nearly 25 years since the trio's formation. But it's also a loving tribute to Charlotte's very own New York City. But our conversation together will also cover many more topics, among them Jazz in July, the quintessential New York City Summer Jazz Festival which is under his artistic direction and that will run over the course of four nights in the last two weeks of July at New York's 92Y. So without further ado, fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is the great Bill Sharlap. Bill, welcome to Jazz's Travel. I'm delighted to be here with you, Matt. It's such a pleasure to have you. And, uh, you know, there's so much that I want to ask you. But first of all, seeing as this is Jazz's Travel, I'd like to ask you, even though I kind of think I know what the answer is going to be, what part of the world are you speaking to us from right now? Right now, I'm in West Orange, New Jersey, where I reside. I'm in the west of Ireland, as usual, in yes. uh, Galway, in uh, in Ireland. It's a beautiful sunny day, Lovely. and it's a great day to talk with you. I'm such a fan of yours, and uh, I love your music, and there is so much that I would want to talk about, but I kind of picked out a few topics to kind of focus on, and the first one of these, of course, is your latest album, Street of Dreams, uh, with your acclaimed trio, uh, which, uh, and I read about this release early on, um, you know, before it was actually, it came out, the album, that 
part of it was meant as a reflection on the literal and metaphorical road traveled together uh, by you and your longtime collaborators, Peter Washington and Kenny Washington. So I'd like to use this observation by starting off uh, and asking you about the origins of this trio and why you guys have managed to remain together and make amazing music all of this time. <laughs> What's the secret? Well, the secret is chemistry. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, that's not something that you can force. It either happens or it doesn't. In 1997, in December, we made our first record. It was made on the Crisscross label, and it's called All Through the Night. And the first piece that we played on that record is the first tune on All Through the Night, and it's All Through the Night. And the chemistry that we have, the three of us together, is there instantly. That's actually the very first time that we played. And you can hear it. Uh, I think we had one rehearsal before, very quick rehearsal, just to put tops and tails on the songs. Um, but that wasn't really playing. That's the secret. The secret is that we have evolved individually and evolved together. And that the trust and chemistry has only grown like it does in any really magical relationship. Um, it's a gift. It's like me and Rini, Rini Rosnes, my wife. We knew right away that we had this fantastic groove together and that uh, there was potential to continue to expand our individual and collective universes. So that's the reason. Uh, we've also been fortunate in that we've, the trio that is, that we've continued to play together, that we've had many opportunities to play all over the world with great frequency to record uh, and to always make the music that we believe in. Well, Street of Dreams is also happens to be a celebration of New York City. First of all, New York City is my home. I grew up here uh, on East 51st Street. Kenny Washington is a uh, New Yorker uh, from birth. Peter Washington is originally from Los Angeles, but has been in New York ever since uh, his very uh, early 20s. And um, New York is the center of my geographical universe. And also, well, I think that one of the ex-mayors, Ed Koch, once said, and I'm paraphrasing and changing it a little bit, but he said something like, if you're one in a million, there's 10 of you in New York. And there's something to that in that the energy is so intense. You're surrounded by so much great thinking and the work ethic and the intensity and the pace and uh, the dreams and the low end and the high end. It's all here and it's all right next to each other. Uh, and also, well, if you took a snapshot, if you took one of those throwaway cameras, which are now uh, going to be antiques at some point, but if you took your iPhone and you, and you just lifted it up on a New York City street anywhere, you didn't even look pretty much on a crowded street, that is, and you just took a photo, you're going to see people of all races, people of all ages, people of all proclivities. You're just going to see it all. 
You just take about five photos, turn your camera all different ways in Times Square. You're going to see everything. So that's one of the great things about New York. Um, so Street of Dreams is naturally a celebration of New York because pretty much everything I do is. The Vanguard is our home here. Uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center is our home. Birdland is our home. The 92nd Street Y is our home. Uh, and... Uh, so is the American Ballet Theater and the Opera House and the Guggenheim Museum and the Bronx and Staten Island, too, as the song says. Right, right. Uh, all of that is reflected and reflected in some of the attitude of how we play. And, of course, Street of Dreams makes us think of the street. And everybody comes to New York with a dream of something that they want to accomplish or want to achieve. Some dreams are broken in two. Some dreams are made like new on the street of dreams. Mm. Mm. So that's how it works. And uh, I guess uh, that's part of it. It's just uh, natural. You know, when we made this album, we made it in the most natural way. Of course, as you said, there was the coming out of the pandemic. All of these things are just the truth for all of us being taken away from our audience. Although we performed as frequently as somebody could, we were performing for a virtual audience, performing for the eye of a camera. It was rather like doing a 1950s live television show. And that was intense in its own way. Uh, but of course, the intimacy of looking at the front row at the Village Vanguard and being able to look right in the eyes of somebody that I'm playing for and having a conversation with, boy, we all really miss that. And that's such an important part of communication in live music and dance and drama and all kinds of music, but especially for us as jazz musicians, as we're improvising all the time and we're telling a story and we're communicating with each other and with you, uh, the listener. So, there's all of that and the idea that uh, coming out of this, we come out with hopefully a new gratitude for what we've lost and perhaps what we've gained. So all of that is there and I think it's reflected on the album. And when we recorded it, which was in May of last year, everyone was still just kind of coming out of their foxhole. And I remember we were recording at Sears Sound, which is on West 48th Street. It's a uh, venerable recording studio with great uh, history. And you can feel it. Even when you walk in the door, you can feel, well, you know, the 60s and 70s and just the way that the studio feels itself. And um, we walked in and had the brilliance of the engineer who's called James Farber, who's one of the best that there is, if not the best, for our music. My preferred piano technician of the last 30 years, who's called Misha Brandsberg, who's a very brilliant technician, and uh, this wonderful nine-foot Steinway that lives at Sear, that has its own kind of soul. It's got some grit to it. It's not quite the piano, maybe, that I'd want to play Chopin scherzos on. Uh, but I'm not playing Chopin scherzos, so <laughs> it's it's got uh, it's got a certain kind of bite. It's got something that uh, 
really as wonderful as a jazz instrument because it sings and it can also be a drummer. And everybody's got to be a drummer and a singer at the same time. So with me and Kenny Washington and Peter Washington, we all walked in to a perfect recording environment. And basically what we did is we just played the way that we would play a set, something that flowed from beginning to end, where we really listened to each other. Pretty much all of those things, maybe with a, a small exception, are exactly in the order that we played them and uh, the first take that we did them in. So we came in and we, and then uh, we went home. We came back the next day and we did four more songs. And then we went home. And that's the record. And it tells a story that's organic in that way. Of course, for us, we've been playing together for almost 25 years. So we were playing an engagement in Baltimore at the Keystone Corner about a week before. And I said, on the drive down, I asked the cats, listen, I'm thinking of uh, about these 20 songs that we haven't recorded. What I would like is a, a knee-jerk reaction, yes or no. If I get three yeses, it goes in the play pile. If I get one no, it gets cast out. Obviously, more than one no, it gets cast out maybe for eternity. But <laughs> but uh, let's see. And so I said, this one, yes, this one, yes, this one, no, this one, no, no, this one, yes. And when I had a nice mixture of things that I felt could flow in terms of what they expressed emotionally, what they would do for the rhythm section, the key centers, the composers represented, the different vibes, the different times that they're taken from, what we could do with them, uh, all of that. Then I knew I had a set that was going to work, that was going to flow just like if we were playing a set at the Vanguard. And that's how we made the album. So there it is. Part of the organic feeling of it is just that it is exactly that. Uh, it's a balance that we've been able to achieve from thinking about all of the nuance, but using our instinct to guide us. Well, speaking of Street of Dreams and the organic feeling, uh, I feel it's a natural album to be coming out also on Blue Note, and it renews your collaboration with this label. Uh, well, that's true. Long-standing partnership uh, of yours. You have recorded many standout albums, uh, and one of them that I wanted to bring up is one from uh, 2004. <laughs> you can probably tell which one I'm, I will be uh, bringing up, right? Yeah. Yes, I somewhere. Can. I, I see a red. <laughs> I see a red cover and a fire escape. <laughs> somewhere, the songs of Leonard Bernstein. Um, yes, another album, of course, of yours that I love. Bernstein is also a composer whose musical legacy you have celebrated uh, in the past, continue to celebrate to this day, and will continue to celebrate. I think. Yes. And I simply wanted to ask you in bringing up uh, his name. Uh, do you feel a particular connection with him and his works? Well, certainly. There are so many things about Leonard Bernstein's work that speak to me, and not just to me, but to uh, to the whole world. 
but particularly Bernstein is such an interesting and important iconic figure in American music, in theater music, as a great maestro, as a teacher. He's emblematic of New York, although he's from Massachusetts originally, but he's a stone-cold New Yorker, ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, leading the New York Philharmonic for so many important years. Bernstein, the theater composer, many of his most important theater works or ballet works, everything from Fancy Free to Wonderful Town to On the Town to uh, West Side Story, well, they're all taking place in uh, on the town, and the town we're talking about is essentially Manhattan, um, and uh, different uh, perspectives on that uh, postage stamp on the earth, that very important postage stamp. Mm -hmm. um, Bernstein is uh, visceral and intense and has such great rhythmic passion in his work and he's uh, Jewish and he's a man of the theater. There's such great drama in everything he did, whether it was conducting the seventh symphony of Beethoven or uh, writing the cool fugue, <laughs> all of the things that are there. But interestingly, Bernstein, as a theater composer, in a way, comes from the other side of the tracks, in the sense that he wrote symphonic music and classical music before he was a theater composer. And his music is very through composed. It's more than a blueprint. You know, if you're dealing with uh, Richard Rogers' song, you're also dealing with the way that the song exists. For instance, Rogers and Hammerstein's The King and I is also the arranging of Robert Russell Bennett. It's all of those things together. With Bernstein, it's beyond the blueprint. It's the sound of not just boy, boy, crazy boy, but it's boy, bump, boy, bump, crazy boy, bump, bump, stay cool, boy, bump, be double, bump. <laughs> all of that stuff is written into the score. And of course, it's natural for us as jazz musicians, Kenny Washington immediately orchestrated all of that at the trap set, a uniquely American instrument that fuses the African-American elements and all of the American elements together. Uh, and uh, Peter orchestrates from a completely informed jazz perspective the bass lines that he plays. Uh, and uh, especially when they get to swinging on the music and we start improvising on the structure. But the point I'm making is that Bernstein is really writing from the top to the bottom and not just the blueprint of the melody and the harmony, but all of the structural and rhythmic underpinnings and dispositions and voicings all of that is there, and that's quite different from a composer like Jerome Kern. And it means that when you play Bernstein's music, 
you have to think about it a bit differently. You have to think about it compositionally. At least I do. I don't want to do away with all of the things that he adds to the music, but I still want to find a way to interpret it so it comes out as our vision of Leonard Bernstein. Now, all of this happens, again, without really thinking about it. It's like any music theory or art history. The art is made first, the historian figures out what happened afterwards. Well, that's part of what I feel happens when I'm putting music together. I'm not thinking it's got to be this, it's got to be this. I let my instinct guide me as to what is right, and then afterwards I see what we've done. The track you are hearing just now is the Bill Charlap Trio's version of Leonard Bernstein's Cool from their 2004 album Somewhere, which was also released on Blue Note Records. Bernstein composed the piece for the fabled musical West Side Story, and Bernstein will be celebrated by the Bill Charlap Trio at a special event at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center on the 17th of June, hosted by theatre insider Ted Chapin and that will also feature Leonard Bernstein's daughter, Jamie, sharing stories about her father from her book, Famous Father Girl, a memoir of growing up with Bernstein. You're listening to Jazz Is Travel, and we're just about ready to get back to the second part of our conversation with the great pianist, Bill Charlap, who will also talk about the upcoming edition of Jazz in July. So let's get back to it. I mean, uh, uh, you brought up Jerome Kerr, you know, another artist whose works you have celebrated and continue to celebrate. And I'm glad that you brought that side of what you do up, that side of a historian, because it's something that I also wanted to ask you. Even when we take uh, Street of Dreams, we see that you pay tribute to Dave Brubeck, uh, Ellington Strayhorn. You like to do that, considering all this. It, you feel that? Do you feel that it's an important part uh, of what you do to also celebrate these artists it's important and natural it's not yeah. uh, you know for me th these composers are in the canon of the greatest composers of our music ever so whether it's dave brubeck or 
Billy Strayhorn, who was, of course, a jazz writer and also a songwriter and also a pianist and also an orchestrator. He's a very uh, unique figure. But Kenny Dorham, Horace Silver, Cedar Walton, Thelonious Monk, of course, who in a way is almost the greatest jazz composer of all. All of this music is part of the canon, and it's all music that we want to play, that I want to play, that puts balance and dimension to uh, what I might do also uh, interpreting uh, Gershwin and Porter and Kern and Rogers and Ellington and Arlen and Irving Berlin. It's all all of a piece. So uh, it's important to me, but I would say it's more... Uh, Pleasure. I'm not... It's a pleasure. It's something that happens naturally. It's instinctive. It's just, it feels like a balance. You know, if I'm yeah. playing a set and I've just played a Vernon Duke song and uh, a Gershwin song, maybe this is a good time to play something by Elmo Hope. I just like the way that it is all part of the experience and what it does for the rhythm section and how it keeps a freshness of perspective with everything that you read. You know, every chapter should be different. I brought up Bristine, of course, because you will have a show uh, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Centre on uh, June 17, uh, where you will particularly highlight what you mentioned there, Bernstein's legacy within the canon of musical theatre. You brought up as well earlier, while speaking about your music, the, the art of storytelling. And considering also your, your background, your family background, do you feel like musical theatre is also something that has shaped the tra trajectory of your own music? Well, most certainly. Uh, musical theatre exists in all arts also for me. I mean, listen, there's musical theatre to The Beatles' Abbey Road from start to finish. It tells a story from start to finish. Uh, Songs in the Key of Life of C.V. Wonder, etc. All of these things uh, exist in that way. So, um, yes, certainly it influences me. I grew up with it. My father was Moose Charlap. He was a great theater composer. He wrote the music to Peter Pan with Carolyn Lee as lyricist. Uh, songs like I'm Flying and I've Got a Crow and I Won't Grow Up and Tender Shepherd and many other popular songs that were recorded by people like Joe Williams and Rosemary Clooney and Sarah Vaughan and, well, uh, etc., many others. Um, my mother is a great popular singer of her generation, uh, like Rosemary Clooney or Tony Bennett, a singer who sings the melody but also swings and interprets the lyric she sang with benny goodman and uh toured with him and was a regular on the mitch miller show the perry como show ed sullivan she was grammy nominated in the 60s for john kander and fred ebb's first hit tune which was my coloring book so i grew up around that and there were people in my home that i didn't realize were the iconic people that they were they were just uh, people that I got to know and loved, uh, like the great lyricist Yip Harburg, composer Charles Strauss, who was at one time my father's roommate, uh, or Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who became two of my best friends in the world. All of these people were around me. Um, what's 
exciting about this concert of Bernstein's music, besides playing with Kenny Washington and Peter Washington and playing music from Candide and Fancy Free and uh, West Side Story and On the Town and Wonderful Town, is that I will also be in conversation with Jamie Bernstein, who is uh, Leonard Bernstein's daughter, and of course, one of his daughters. And she has the unique perspective, of course, that could only come from being, as she has called herself in the title of her book, Famous Father Girl. It will be wonderful to talk about Bernstein and to hear her insight and to get that singular perspective. Yeah. And it will be moderated by the great theater historian Ted Chapin, who is a very knowledgeable and erudite person about this music. So I look forward to that. It'll be kind of a special uh, one-time-only event in that way. And uh, it will be wonderful to uh, get back to uh, Bernstein's music. Absolutely. Sounds absolutely fascinating. And Bill, uh, there's so much that I would love to ask you, but I also want to know uh, about another major event that will be coming up uh, soon. Uh, because among the many things that you do, you are the artistic director of Jazz in July, uh, the quintessential New York City summer jazz festival. Can you tell me a bit more about it and what will be happening over the course of its four nights? Well, first of all, Jazz in July is a series that happens at uh, 92Y New York, and that is at 92nd Street and Lexington Avenue. And the 92nd Street Y is a great cultural institution. There are uh, classes and uh, lectures and classical music and theater music and iconic figures from all over the intellectual world and the Jazz in July series, which has existed now for, well, it's going to be coming up in a few years on almost, well, it's almost 40 years old. It was uh, under the directorship of one of my greatest mentors, the great pianist Dick Hyman, for 20 years, and this is my 17th year as artistic director. And it's in a beautiful theater at the Kaufman Concert Hall. It's about a thousand seats. I remember playing there with Jerry Mulligan many years ago, um, where he said that it was his favorite hall in New York City. And it has a beautiful acoustic sound. It's all wood and it reverberates beautifully. Uh, it's a, just kind of a perfect theater to hear our music. And the festival itself over the years has celebrated so many iconic figures of the music. People who've performed on stage during my tenure have included, oh, Barry Harris and Cedar Walton and Hank Jones and James Moody and Jim Hall and uh, Wynton Marsalis and uh, Tom Harrell and... Uh, Oh, Cecile McLaurin-Salvant, Diane Reeves, Kurt Elling, just so many great artists. And this year we have four concerts and I couldn't be more excited about them. They're all with musicians who I admire so much and they're all once-in-a-lifetime concerts and combinations of these musicians. None of these musicians have ever played together in these contexts exactly. And I'll tell you what's going on and what's happening. Uh, all of the concerts happen at 7.30 p.m. 
They're all at 92nd Street Y at Lexington Avenue, and they are all in the last two weeks of July. There are four concerts, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and Tuesday and Thursday and Tuesday and Thursday. Here's the first one. It's Tuesday, July 19th, and that's Joshua Redman, one of the most iconic and important tenor saxophonists alive today, playing with my trio. This is the first time we've ever played together with Joshua Redman. He had come to me, uh, oh, uh, we had seen each other, I think, at Lincoln Center, close to, uh, well, it must have been about 10 years ago, he said, I'd love to play with your trio sometime. And I gave him a call and said, well, how about we do it this summer? And he said that would be wonderful, that he'd love to do it. And I'm just delighted that we can do this together. And uh, we look forward to playing with Joshua. So it's Joshua Redman and the Bill Charlap Trio on Tuesday, July 19th. On Thursday, July 21st, we're going to celebrate, well, I guess it's basically three generations of jazz piano. Um, two of my very favorite players in the world today, uh, one who I think is the premier jazz pianist alive today, and that's Kenny Barron. I can't say enough about Kenny Barron. He is a force in the music, and uh, I would go, go anywhere in the world that he was playing to hear him play. Um, I just love his musicianship so much. He's such a profound jazz musician and uh, such a unique, innovative an individual player. So he will be on the concert. I'll be on the concert. Uh, and also uh, younger Aaron Deal. I say younger now because Aaron's in his 30s now, but we all just keep going up the totem pole, you know, uh, and that's how it goes. Uh, I'm 55. Aaron's in his 30s. I suppose Mr. Barron is probably, uh, he may be somewhere uh, in Area 70 right now. Uh, in any event, uh, he's uh, as vital and visceral as ever, even more so. But the three of us will be playing together in various duo piano configurations, solo pianists, and also with an unbelievably wonderful rhythm section of uh, the great Noriko Ueda at the bass. She's one of the bright lights in the world of jazz today. She plays... Uh, Oh, well, she's played with many artists, including Kenny Barron. Right now, she's on the road with a group that my wife is the uh, leader of, and that's a group called Artemis, one of the great groups in jazz today. Uh, they are six artists who are all leaders in their own right, and they all happen to be women, which is very exciting uh, hearing them perform together. Uh, the group is Nicole Glover at the tenor saxophone, Anat Cohen at the clarinet, Ingrid Jensen at the trumpet, Allison Miller at the drums, Noriko Ueda at the bass, and my wife, Rini Rosnes, at the helm and at the piano. Um, so Noriko is playing bass, and the great Louis Nash, one of the world's greatest drummers, who has just played with everyone from McCoy Tyner to Oscar Peterson to Tommy Flanagan, just everyone in the world. He's one of my all-time favorites. And between that rhythm section, Kenny Barron, myself, and Aaron Deal, we're going to have a, a piano blowout Thursday, July 21st. Um, Tuesday, July 26th, will be a wonderful all-star event that includes the great Joe Lovano, 
who is, uh, of course, a force on the tenor saxophone, uh, a great visionary player who uh, thrives in every context. And he always is exploring something new and always has some new thing to bring to the music in the various groups that he leads and has played in. The thing about Joe is that you hear the past, the present, and the future all at the same time in his playing. And I just love the way he plays. When with Joe Lovano will be the wonderful Warren Wolf, great vibraphonist who has uh, made a big name for himself. He's right now playing, uh, I just heard him in Palm Springs where I was playing with Dee Dee Bridgewater in a duet. We've been doing various duet concerts around the world and it's just a pleasure uh, performing like that with Dee Dee. And uh, after us, I heard Christian McBride's Inside Straight with Jaleel Shaw and the great Carl Allen at the drums, Jaleel Shaw at the uh, saxophones and uh, Christian at the bass and Warren Wolf was playing uh, the vibes. And uh, just beautifully, he'll be on this concert. Uh, the rhythm section is one of the great rhythm sections in the world. In fact, I'll be touring in Europe with this rhythm section in October. Uh, the great David Wong at the bass, who played for many years with Jimmy Heath. And uh, Carl Allen at the drums, who, well, among others, worked with Freddie Hubbard and, oh, just so many great people. And they're a beautiful combination together. So, David Wong, Carl Allen, Joe Lovano, Warren Wolf, myself, and a special guest, somebody who will be new to the Y stage and is really making a big name for herself. She's going to rise straight to the top and already is well on her way. She's called Samara Joy, and she is a marvelous singer. Uh, really a truly natural and beautiful instrument that she has and her interpretive gifts are expanding all the time. I love to hear her sing and I can't wait to perform with her in this very special aggregate of musicians. And finally, our last concert on Thursday, July 28th, will feature two of the greatest virtuoso improvisers who have such a visceral uh, feeling in their playing. They are one of my all-time heroes, the great Mike Stern at the guitar, who has an intensity and passion and a linear language and sound that is absolutely unique to him. Uh, but don't ask me, ask Miles Davis, who hired him uh, right away when uh, he made his mark again uh, in the world uh, all across the entire constellation of the universe when uh, he came back on the scene after a seven-year hiatus with the album Man with the Horn. And the first piece on there was Fat Time, named for Mike Stern, who uh, after, uh, by the way, uh, losing quite a bit of weight, Miles started to call him just Time. <laughs> and that's one thing that Mike has, the most perfect time. And man... Mike played a solo on there that was just uh, the shot heard around the world. It was almost like uh, Eric Clapton and B.B. King meet uh, Bud Powell. And, uh, you know, it was the linear language of bebop along with uh, the uh, striking sound of uh, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> 
all yeah. of it going together. Really fantastic. Um, and Mike plays beautiful and uh, elegant interpretations of American popular songs, too. Songs like um, Like Someone in Love and There Is No Greater Love and Horace Silver's Peace. And oh, all of these things are emblematic of his repertoire. Just beautiful things that he plays. With Mike Stern is I think the greatest virtuoso saxophonist possibly of all time in terms of his playing of the instrument, and that's the great Chris Potter. The saxophone seems to be a toy to him. <laughs> it's just uh, his virtuosity is mind-boggling. It's overwhelming, but it's not just the virtuosity that he plays the alto, the tenor. Well, the tenor is his uh, main voice, uh, although he plays beautiful alto too. But the tenor and the soprano saxophone, uh, he is just one of the great interpreters of the music. His language is, uh, it's like a faucet that you can just turn on and it seems absolutely endless. It's a faucet connected to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> it will never run dry. It's really something. And between Chris Potter and Mike Stern and the intensity of the rhythm section that consists of the great Bill Stewart at the drums, one of the truly giant drummers in the world who has put together everything from Jack DeJanet to uh, Billy Higgins in his playing and more and has a sound and a style and an identity that is 100% original and all of his own, the way that he stands on the Giants. Uh, that's what really great jazz musicians do. You know, there's no outsider art. It's not like something that uh, it just comes out of a vacuum. It's an extension of that which came before, but by embracing and developing through the innovations that come before is where we find our own voice and our own innovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's always been the case, you know? Without Teddy Wilson, there'd be no Bud Powell. Without Bud Powell, no Bill Evans. Without Bill Evans, no Herbie Hancock, and et cetera, and et cetera. That's how it works. So with Bill Stewart at the drums and the great Scott Colley at the bass, Scott is, uh, well, what a voice he is. He's almost uh, like a... Uh, virtuosic extension of the music of Charlie Hayden, in a sense. That's what I hear in Scott, and many, many other things, too. Uh, he's got a profound groove, great time, beautiful lines. He and Bill Stewart have a fantastic connection together. You know, rhythm sections, they're so important to me. And on these concerts, the three, the four rhythm sections are so, uh, they're some, they're four of my favorite rhythm sections. Kenny Washington and Peter Washington. Noriko Ueda and Lewis Nash, David Wong and Carl Allen, Scott Colley and Bill Stewart. They're just incredible combinations. So along with that concert, all of them, of course, I'll be playing on. So I'll be with Mike Stern, Chris Potter, Scott, and Bill. Uh, we are also adding to this concert a new voice in the music, She's being recognized by just about everybody uh, these days. She's just joined um, another group of Christian McBrides 
She's a member of Artemis and uh, she's just an unbelievable player who the second that anyone hears her, they say, whoa, there's a new voice on the scene that has to be reckoned with. And that's Nicole Glover. And she is uh, just wonderful. And she'll be joining us also. So Mike Stern, Chris Potter, Nicole Glover, Bill Stewart, and Scott Colley and myself. And that's our last concert. So we have four magnificent concerts with some of the greatest voices in the world scene today. And uh, the combinations are unique and really once in a lifetime. And the hall is absolutely beautiful and just big enough for concerts of this nature and just small enough to make it intimate as well. It sounds amazing, the lineup that you've got in store for the people. And Bill, it has been fascinating speaking with you. Thank you very much for joining us in this very special episode of Jazz Is Travel. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been delightful to be here with you. hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bill Charlap on this latest episode of Jazz Is Travel. And as music from the Bill Charlap trio's latest album, Street of Dreams, plays us out, I remind you to keep up with all Bill Charlap events at BillCharlap.com and find out more about New York's 92Y Jazz in July series as well. I hope you will join me next week for a brand new episode of Jazz Is Travel and for more conversations with or about groundbreaking and visionary artists. And in the meantime, I urge you also to check out jazzis.com for more content on jazz and creative music at large and subscribe for even more excellent content, including our digital magazines and all kinds of features about the music we know and love. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon.